0: Our text for today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for in it it tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word will stand forever. Teach us wonderful things today and sanctify us by it to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. We're in our final stretch of our study in 1 Thessalonians. We just finished up Hebrews last week or the week before, and Lord willing, we will have another two sermons in our study of 1 Thessalonians, and that will hopefully close us out of this book by the end of this year. 1 Thessalonians is one of the 27 books of the New Testament and it's written by the missionary team of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to this young church which is in modern day Greece. Our text today is probably familiar to you if you've ever been in a Christian bookstore. I don't think they exist anymore and maybe that's a good thing, topic for another time, but. Anytime you take joy, prayer, and thanks, and put it on a sign, it's gonna be a big seller. Moms are gonna love it, and they're gonna buy it. Right, moms? Moms especially love when their kids are joyful and filled with gratitude to God and to their parents. And the sign was usually um, rejoice, pray, give thanks, and that was in real big font. And then in smaller font was the always, the without ceasing, and then the in everything. And that's the rub, right? I think we all kind of get that uh, challenge. If Paul just wrote, rejoice a lot, pray often, and strive to be thankful, I think we could handle that, right? But the text says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things, And that's what makes this triad of verses seem like Mission Impossible Part 9 for many of us. And these aren't just tips or suggestions. Paul's giving this young church, and by extension, all churches throughout history and all individual Christians throughout time, a set of commands that align with God's will for us. you look at verse 18, it says... That it's God's will that God's people live with the tone and the tenor of rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in everything. And the this here, in verse 18, most of the commentators, or I should say the majority of the commentators, all say that it encapsulates all three of those verbs. So it's a package deal. It's God's will that we operate in this way. And all three of these verbs are interconnected, as you're going to see. And a lot of the application points, are going to be interconnected in how we bring them out. And they're necessarily interconnected. Chrysostom, one of the famous preachers of the first uh, few centuries, he, he had a he had a sermon where he, he made them all kind of play on each other and they all built on you rejoice and it's, it's when you pray and you give thanks then you can rejoice. And, and I'm not saying they're all like in a succession like that, but they're connected. And God has a reason for why Paul wrote what he wrote and gave us what he gave us. These are basic concepts. And all of us are familiar with them. Joy, joy in the Lord. Prayer, giving thanks, being filled with gratitude. We all know them, but it's much easier to put them up on a wall, on a sign, and point to them in the house than it is to actually strive and live for this daily reality in our actions and our attitudes. Now, the title for today's sermon is The RPG Spiritual Warhead. David, what were you thinking there? I just saw some of your faces, and you go, what in the world were you thinking with that title? Couldn't you just stick to basic training part two? That would have been sufficient. Well, some of you did make the connection, but I'll uh, I'll, I'll connect the dots and I'll, I'll spell it out for you here in the introduction of the sermon. So RPG is military parlance for rocket propelled grenades. I know my favorite marine, Jerry back there, he knows that. And I just found this out over the last month. There's a lot of things I'm I'm learning. I learned about something called furries. I learned that RPG also stands for role-playing games. Didn't know that. It kind of muddies the water of my great title, but nevertheless, I'm not referring to Dungeons and Dragons and these role-playing games or fictional games that seem to dominate the world these days. I'm talking about RPG rocket-propelled grenades, which is a shoulder-fired missile weapon that launches rockets, and it's equipped with an explosive warhead. RPGs are incredibly powerful, and they're used to blow up tanks and armored vehicles and bad guys. Well, you know what else is incredibly powerful? Rejoicing, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all things that 's the RPG the spiritual RPG that packs a spiritual warhead of expansive kingdom impact and you know what else is powerful is mnemonic devices for memory I use them all the time and how I remember the different test codes and tests in my work in in, in the laboratory business or if my daughter sprains her ankle and I say you got to put it's it's rest, it's ice, it's compression, it's elevation, rice. It's a little acronym, it's what they use. So rice, I remembered what to tell her when she sprained her ankle because I I had that acronym tucked away in my head. Well, sermon titles don't necessarily help you remember the sermon or parts of the sermon. God knows I've heard thousands of really good sermons in my life with many with great titles that I can't remember. It doesn't mean you don't listen to sermons, that's not the point. We try to remember, you try to take notes, you write down as much as you can, you review your notes, you be disciplined in your learning. But my goal today with that title, as we study these three verses, is that you, my brother, my sister, have a handle to hold and remember the powerful triad of actions and to come back to them again and again, to memorize them and make the connections to all of life, and to see and savor Jesus more fittingly with the grace that he gives you. Unlike the RPG tool of war, which explodes a warhead that maims and kills as a reality in this fallen world of ours, the RPG spiritual warhead of rejoicing, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks wages war against the enemies of our souls, which are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Rejoicing, prayer, and giving thanks, or gratitude, that also fits for the G, if that helps you. It makes impact and progress in this world as we grow in increased dependence on God for his grace, and more humility and submission and obedience to his will for our lives the rpg spiritual warhead is defense and its offense and it's ultimately for the advancement of the kingdom of god as we aim to see more of what is good true and beautiful and less darkness death and destruction and more light life and love More of the gospel renewal is what we're after. More reconciliation of all things in Christ. More restoration of individuals' broken mess of their lives. And more restoration of bankrupt, broken families that are doing life in a disintegrated fashion apart from God. That's what we're after, and we want to see that RPG spiritual warhead explode on all that is against the true God and his plan, his revealed will for us. So that's the RPG connection. And you can let me know in about three months if that's stuck in your head. Hey, I remember that sermon title, and it actually um, helped me remember some of what you taught us that day. So let's jump in. We It's very simple outline. I, 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 I had a bunch of points I could have gave um, Anita and Damali, but I, I said, you know what, I, I may want to tweak those. on. Friday night, and I, I did, so I just kept it blank. Um, and you have uh, a wide open uh, sheet here, you can put lots of your notes. So it's very simple, three points and a conclusion. Verse 16, let's jump right in. It says this, rejoice always. This is actually the shortest verse in the Bible, in the, in the original Greek. Um, you, you may have heard Jesus wept, but not in the original. This is just, in the original it's just two words, rejoice always. And I think we have a good idea what this means, but I'm going to define it because a lot of people, you know, natural joy, Pastor Joe prayed in the opening. Natural joy is like, you know, I'm happy that the Mets won. I'm glad. You know, I have a happy, clappy feeling when it's my birthday. Or as you get older, kids, you don't you aren't as happy when it's your birthday, when you're uh, almost coming on 50. But this joy or rejoicing that we're talking about here is the, it's the biblical joy, it's spiritual joy, and it's rooted in Jesus. Philippians 4.4 4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. We're going to sing that at the end of the service. That's the joy. It's rooted in Christ. It's the joy that was in the Christmas story in Luke 2, when the angels came to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy because a Savior is born biblical joy has to do with jesus it has to do with the king of kings and rejoicing in him in his love in his goodness and in his blessings that we have if we're in christ and joy is all over the bible you know this i I got a whole bunch of texts here i'll just go through a few psalm 118 24 this is the day that the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it david's prayer In Psalm 51, his famous prayer of contrition, after he sinned, he he, he came to God, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And of course, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. This is is the greatest evidence. It It comes from the Holy Spirit. True spiritual joy comes from the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The root word, the stem word of of grace is the same word for the the stem word of of joy charis caro i'm not sure how you say that exactly but they have the same root it's from god now it can be cultivated you can cultivate that and it's supposed to serve like a like a thermostat like feature in our lives it sets the temperature It doesn't just react or respond like a thermometer, telling us what temperature it is. But when God gives us His His joy, and then we cultivate that by the fruit by the grace of the Spirit, it's supposed to serve as a powerful thermostat in our lives, regardless of the situation. A good definition that I cobbled together from a bunch of godly men and uh, mostly Puritan. um, They 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 use this. Definition or a coming together of a few of these guys, but this is what uh, one definition—a good working definition for us today—biblical joy is the good feeling or affection in the soul of the possession of Christ and contentment in Him. So it's it's the way we feel when our hearts are content in Jesus. The soul is well. It is well with my soul because my soul possesses or anticipates only ultimate good from God, from all that God brings my way. It may be sour at the moment, but that bitter or sour taste will yield to good providences. As uh, paraphrasing a little William Cooper there. And the command we have is to rejoice always. The King James has the verse, rejoice evermore. Some of you may have uh, uh, memorized it that way, which is, it's a good way to put it. Or rejoice at all times. It's supposed to be a habitual pattern of your life to be rejoicing and filled with joy. Not grumbling, not complaining, not moping around like Eeyore, With his deadpan, thanks for noticing me. It's all for naught. No, nothing is for naught. Nothing is wasted in the Christian life. The Christian life is exhilarating. It's never depressing. We've been made new, and our future is secure. Of all the people that exist on planet Earth, Christians should be the most optimistic, not pessimistic. And we need reminding of this. We need to remind ourselves of this first, and then as brothers and sisters, we can remind each other. You would be surprised (coughs) who in our congregation is hardwired for idealism and disappointment and frustration and misery. Those may be your natural dispositions, but we have to mortify that, amen? Now, we live in a fallen world, and there are obstacles to our joy. Just like for the early church. The early church, this this church in Thessalonica was getting pushed around and beaten up. They had it from the Jews. They had it from the the Romans. They were getting it from every angle. And they faced trials. And some of them went to prison and were beaten for being Christians. How could they rejoice when they're being beaten unjustly? How could the Hebrews... Rejoice at the plundering of their possessions. In Hebrews 10. Sin throws a monkey wrench into joy, right? But the reason we can always rejoice is that as Christians, we always have good, strong, and sturdy reasons to rejoice. We have a better possession and an abiding one. Hebrews 10.34 says. Biblical joy is rooted and anchored in realities that cannot change. True Christian joy is not natural. It's not tied to circumstances. It's not tied to natural situations. The reason we can always rejoice at all times, in all circumstances, is because God is sovereign over all situations and all circumstances. The only way we can rejoice over every circumstance is if God is the ruler and the boss over every circumstance. If there were circumstances out there happening in the clouds, in the environment, and those things were outside of God's control, And your life is just getting caught up in the gears. Your your life is just getting caught up in the the machinery of life. And and God is just about as sorry and surprised as you are. If that's the way you think, it's not going to be possible to rejoice in that situation or thank him for that circumstance. Because you believe he ultimately didn't bring it to you. So you don't thank him for it. You don't thank a guy. You're walking down the street in New York City and a guy comes up to you and you just start thanking him. What do you thank him for? He didn't do anything for you. He didn't give you anything. I'm thanking him. For what? You thank people who give you something or are in control of what is being given to you. In order for you to obey this command and rejoice always and rejoice in every circumstance, you must believe what is true that God is the Lord of that circumstance. Here's another way to say it. No matter what your circumstance or situation, whether it's cancer, car accident, or career derailment, the question is, what in that situation has changed God? Has anything caused God to be removed from his sovereign throne? Or is God still God? Matthew Henry, the great commentary writer from the 17th century, uh, once got badly mugged and beaten. And he tells the story in his journal. Well, he reflects and he says this, let me rejoice and be thankful to God first that I was never robbed and beaten before this time. Second, let me rejoice and be thankful because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, although they took everything I had, it wasn't very much. And fourth, I'm I'm thankful that it was I that was robbed and not I that did the robbing. Now, this is important. The dominant characteristic of the people of God is to be joy in him. But our joy in God, it can be interrupted Or it can coexist with natural grief and sorrow because of loss or adversity or maybe sympathy towards someone else's hurt. Mm -hmm. Or God sometimes clears the brush from your life and brings you to a place of brokenness and repentance so that he can clear the way for some holy supernatural joy with true repentance. In all of those situations, it's really difficult in that moment to have the joyful overflowing of rejoicing unto God for your situation. So joy can be interrupted or coexist with those emotions that I just mentioned. Because those emotions are built on the substructure and the foundation of deep spiritual joy for the Christian. I can't tell you how thankful I am for the Puritans. The Puritans bring this out again and again and again. All things for good, I think that's Watson. All things for good, God brings, he works all of this and the way he can do that is because he's in control of it and he has purpose in that. Pastor Eli brought this out in 1 Peter 6 when he was teaching us through that, I think it was. They were rejoicing but had grief rejoicing but grief in their trial well what is it joy or grief which one well it's both yes they can coexist for a time we've all felt that right there's times when you're there's a part of you that's rejoicing and there's a part of you that really doesn't like it but you're leaning in to what you know is true they can they can coexist for a time because the emotions of sorrow and grief and sympathy and brokenness leading to repentance are all built on the substructure of biblical holy joy. How can we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if we don't understand this concept? The way we can do that is because our foundation for joy is built on the truth that death doesn't have the last word. Christians don't grieve like the world who has no hope. That's how you are able to rejoice and have sorrow and sympathy towards a brother or sister that is going through a tough time. Sorrow and joy are intermixed throughout the Bible. We could do a whole sermon on that, but let's just keep moving along we have everything we need to have an abundant joy but the problem is we're not filling our minds and informing our minds with the true reality of all that is ours all the true possessions that are ours in christ and then all that we can anticipate by faith together looking forward to what's coming i think I want to say it was Al Martin that said this, but he uh, he said, God's blessing now is a tiny smidgen of what is coming our way. We need more intake of truth, more exercising of the intake, and that is a church community project. It's not just for you solo, it's for us together. Just take a few of the reasons. I, I I pulled a couple of these out. Uh, from our time in First Thessalonians. Go in from chapter 1. I think we did almost 20 sermons already through First Thessalonians. But remember, God's love is for you if you're in him. He's elected and chosen you for salvation. He has saved you from the holy wrath that you deserve. Your sins deserve that. And whether you live or you die, you will be counted amongst the saints of history that are clinging to Jesus. Those are reasons to rejoice, and they're always true. I think it was Thomas Manton, the Puritan, that said, if I wake up today to find myself anywhere but in hell, I have good reason to rejoice. I'll paraphrase John Calvin here as we close out this first point. If we consider what is ours in Christ, even the heaviest bitterness and grief, must disappear and give way to spiritual joy. Why? Because God is in control of every circumstances. Every circumstance, he's in control. He is good, and he's prepared good for those who are in Christ. Let's look at verse 17. It says, pray without ceasing. And the Greek word that's used here for pray, it's the general word. It's the umbrella word for prayer, and it includes all different types of prayer. In the Old Testament, Moses, David, Daniel, Nehemiah, uh, example after example, chapter after chapter, verse after verse of them praying, right? So there's, there's, there's prayers of praise, which is acknowledging God for who he is. And then there's prayers of petition, there's prayers of thanksgiving, thanking him for his blessings that come from his hand. So there's different kinds of prayer. Jesus taught a lot about prayer. Remember in Matthew six, he says, don't, don't show off like these guys over here that are just praying out in the street. Hypocrites babbling with empty words. And then of course, Jesus, they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, I'll teach you how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, May your name be kept holy. That's how we start. Prayer is communing with God. And it includes, as I said, praise. It includes petition. It includes thanksgiving. It even includes the imprecatory prayers, which turn into psalms. Pastor Eli shared a little bit last week with us. I think uh, question 98 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism has a great definition of prayer. I like our Baptist confession. I'm as Baptist as you get, but I'm a little jealous of the Westminster. I like the way it's laid out. Gotta be honest. Like the questions, like the answers, like the verses. It's very neat, structured, systematic. This is what the question says. Question 98. This is what is prayer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So much to say there. I'll just parse out a few thoughts and I'll just take the beginning part of that definition, uh, which I think will be helpful. So, first thing, just a couple thoughts on prayer. We're told to pray without ceasing. What are you talking about? Let me tell you. One, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. Now, I know many of you came from Roman Catholic backgrounds, and many of you are very passionate and vigilant about this, and that's good. And this is one that we should be passionate about, and is a great point of contrast. You've heard this a lot. I know Pastor Joe comes from... A strong catholic background he understands this and he's shared this with us but all prayers to the saints and to virgin mary are gibberish at best and blasphemous at worst. they might be sincere from the heart but if the prayer is not to the one true god it's not biblical prayer i know that's offensive for many people to hear that any prayer how can you say that his prayer doesn't work? Well, <clears throat> the Bible says, that's where we go. It's not about you and what you say. It's what we, we go back to the objective standard. Anything other than a prayer to the true God of the Bible is an exercise in blasphemy. And that includes our... Uh, do-gooder Christians, wherever they may be, who pray to the big guy in the sky. Are you praying to the God of the Bible, or are you praying to Grandpa Wind Chimes on the celestial rocker in the clouds? That's how a lot of people think of it. And it's shameful. I lived down south. I lived in Louisiana. I lived in Virginia. There's a lot of good old boy Christianity. A friend of mine said the south is... Is is haunted by the ghost of Jesus. True Christianity is hard to find down there because it's now. I'm not saying tr- I'm not saying cultural Christianity is is worse than what we have up here, there, but you can make that you can make the case. But the impact is there's a lot of people who think they're praying to God when really they're not. And we have, of course, no right to God's blessings or to pray to God if you're praying apart from Christ it's only in by and through Jesus that we can approach our Heavenly Father and prayer is not just saying here's another thing prayer is not just saying whatever whenever we have to pray in alignment with what God has revealed in his word and in submission to his secret will God's not a cosmic vending machine up there. Just going to put in the prayer and get out what I want. 1 John 5 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. James 4.3, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Before my kids' uh, basketball games, we pray. And we don't pray for wins. I've I've shared this with them. We don't pray to win the game. We pray for winning character. We pray to honor Christ with the gifts that we have. So you see people down there praying, Lord, I hope we win the game today. You're, You're praying selfishly. That's not how we're told to pray. The Christian Standard Bible has verse 17 as pray constantly. That's a good way to say it. And that's what Paul brings out in Ephesians 6, that armor of God passage. It brings out, pray at all times in the Spirit. We know that without ceasing doesn't mean that we bend the knee and we bow the head and we never take a break. We have to live like a a monk. And some monks tried to live like that. It didn't work. And another way, we know that we're not supposed to pray and just stop everything that we're doing and just kneel and pray 24-7. Another way is because Jesus and Paul didn't do that. The word in the original for without ceasing was used of a hacking cough. And we know someone that has a bad cough they, it's not that they cough 100% of the time, but that they have a cough that just doesn't want to quit. It, it's repeatedly, it's, it's often, it's it's after them, and it, it's, it's, it's there. Now, that same word for without ceasing, it comes up in, in, in uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this same letter. Paul says, um, he says, I thank God... Um, Uh, without ceasing for your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfast hope. I thank God unceasingly for that. And then later on in chapter two, he says, I thank God without ceasing for the way that you receive the word that I gave you as if it was from God and not just man's word. So which is it, Paul? Do you unceasingly pray and thank God for their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope? Or do you unceasingly pray for, and thank him for the way that they received the word. Well, obviously, the point is that he prayed constantly. He prayed regularly. It wasn't like a sporadic hit and miss is what he's getting at. Just like we eat and we dress and we sleep and we brush our teeth without ceasing, we do those things with regularity. We're to pray with an unceasing orientation and alignment and fellowship with god that is unbreakable it should be a constant regular feature of your life why because prayer is the language of trusting god it's the language of submission and trust there's an old classic story about a bunch of seminary professors who are sitting around talking about what this verse means what does it mean to pray without ceasing? And there was a, uh, a lady that was there. She was the, the custodian. And she says, uh, hey, gentlemen, I, I could tell you what it means. I do it every day. And then they said, oh, you know, come over. Come, on, come talk to us. We'd love to hear this. So, so they were curious, and they, they said, share with us. So, so she said, when I wake up, I pray, oh, Lord, open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things in your law. When I'm showering, I pray, let me be washed afresh in the blood of the lamb. When I'm dressing for the day, I pray, clothe me in the righteousness of your son and adorn me with the garments of salvation. When I'm kindling the fire, I pray, "O Lord, kindle the fire of my heart for you. When I'm sweeping the room, I pray, Lord, may my heart be swept clean of all the abominations. I'm praying the whole day in communion with my Lord. She had the right idea by allowing the occasions of life to turn her mind to heavenly things with unbroken fellowship with her God in prayer. I forget who it was, but one of the Puritans would say in the morning, "O Lord, let this bed be the altar and this body be the living sacrifice offered up to you afresh today. And I do that so all my powers and actions and attitudes may be turned towards accomplishing your will. That's a good prayer. I remember hearing, uh, and it stuck with me because I can remember it. I remember hearing that the great Eagles and Vikings quarterback, Randall Cunningham, a real Giants killer, he shared that in his morning routine he would roll out of bed directly Unto his knees as a sign of submission. And then he would pray and start his day. And he said, I want the daily reminder to be that I can't even take one step apart from God's grace. So our second point today, pray without ceasing. What are we commanded to do without ceasing? We're told to offer from the heart, through Christ, what is agreeable to his will in constant communion and communication. Sometimes not with words, remember in 1 Samuel, Hannah, she was praying and her, her no words were coming out but her lips were moving. Or as my, uh, my one friend's daughter would say, she would say, Daddy, can I do an open eye prayer? And she'd say, yes honey, you may do an open eye prayer. Yeah, I saw you, Daddy. When you were driving, you did an open eye prayer. Yeah, because we he would when they start their trip, he would pull out of the driveway and they would pray, and he would pray, and she would, you know, see him praying. She knew it was an open eye prayer. Now we do need the set disciplined time on the calendar, which we have as a church corporately, and then you have hopefully as a family. That, and, and, and also individually, that prayer closet, prayer time. But we also need that spontaneous, constant contact and conversational prayer with our Father. Don't fall off the horse both sides, right? You can do that. Be like, oh, look, I, I don't need to set any times. I pray with God all the time. I mean, God, we're a 24-7, open communication. But you never have time to pray over here. Set times where you where you go before the throne with a list and you pray. Or or you go over here and, 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 and then you're, you're the opposite. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm all this and I'm no constant contact communication. So we need both. Sometimes God brings people to my mind. I pray for them. There were times when I was in China, it was a phenomenon. I don't know how and why it happened, but God would bring people to my mind to pray for at the strangest circumstances and the strangest times, and they would, the three or four times it happened, they all got right with God. Out of paganism! God put them on my mind, pray for this guy. Okay, I'll pray for him. And he gets saved. Sometimes I see a car. Oh! That's Scott Blake's car. Scott Blake has a car like that. All right, I'll pray for Scott Blake. That's something you could do. We can always pray because God always hears us when we pray. And there are always things to pray about. You can pray for people's salvation. You could pray for growth in godliness. You could pray for true biblical justice in our land and not the phony social justice that's getting pushed around now. But to For my encouragement, um, I like Psalm 50, verse 15. It's one of my motivators for prayer, where it says this, God says through the psalmist, call on me in the day of distress. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. It's about God. In the mystery of God's design, he uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes and he bids us to pray and he says rob scarpatti you pray and i'm going to accomplish my purposes through your prayer and if you don't pray i'm getting someone else to pray why would you not want to participate in the joy of seeing that prayer come to pass through you god used you so let us come boldly to the throne of grace and pray without ceasing let's go to our third point give thanks give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Some of the translations have in all circumstances and others have in all things. And basically it's a wide open command that says in everything give thanks. Now, these are all interconnected as I said. The, praise, the rejoicing the the prayer and the and and and, and also this one here giving thanks and fill, being filled with gratitude they're all connected and i will say this i've taught previously in my life um, that in all things give thanks what this verse says in all things give thanks but it doesn't say for all things i've taught that And I always wanted to bring a distinction there. And there's many, many well-known Bible teachers that will say that. And they bring a distinction. But as I was preparing this message, I realized that the in and the for distinction is really not biblical. Not only not biblical, but it's not really helpful. And I think I knew that, but I just never thought about it since I matured. Let me see if you can follow what I'm saying. What Paul is not saying is this. Hey Thessalonians, I realize you're being persecuted, I know it's tough there, I know you're having a rough go of it, but thank God in your troubles, but not for your troubles. You see, God didn't send you those troubles directly, those are just troubles that he allowed for you to make lemonade out of the lemons that ended up plopping on your lap. He's there to help you through them and make the best out of the bad situation, but don't thank him for those circumstances because they didn't come from him. That, that's evil, that's harmful, that's hurtful, that's tragic, that, that's a bad situation. It didn't come from God. So you don't thank God for your trouble, but you can thank God in your trouble. A lot of people believe that, they think that. I did for a while. And it's a common understanding. The problem is, we need to look at the Bible in its entirety and connect the verses to each other and see how it all works together and fits together. And we need to rest on a bedrock principle of the sovereignty of God. Ephesians 5.20 says, We give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.11 says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will so which is it do we thank god in all things or do we thank god for all things because by faith we see in light of eternity we can take a step in that direction we say yes i'm going to thank god in all things and for all things We may not see the purpose of the adversity. Sometimes it's as simple as a cracked iPhone screen that happened yesterday, Alyssa. Or a bird dookies on your fresh shirt as you're going into the office. Or you're sitting in traffic, frustrated, yelling on the Cross Bronx Expressway, why are you watching that broken down car? Don't you know I have places to go? It could be as simple as those things. Well, just like rejoicing, the only way to give thanks in all things is if God is the Lord of all things. Giving thanks in everything follows that everything was given to you by him. All of life is governed by the perpetual providence of God. And you see that link again. It's the sovereignty of God. And it's connected, the rejoicing is connected to the prayer. And the prayer is connected to the thanks. Sparrows don't fall to the ground apart from God's approval. Hairs don't fall into the sink without God's approval. There are no accidents. Everything is ordered by God so you can thank God for and in all things. Well, what about my cancer? What about my, the, the moral evil done to me? God sent that for my good? Now listen, I could believe the traffic, I could believe the iPhone, there's something working behind the scenes, God, uh, I, you know, I, God's got his providence working it out, but I can't believe that God wanted me or ordained for me to get punched in the head and jumped in Carney when I was 14. That wasn't God's plan. And fill in the blank of the most horrible thing that happened to you or happened to someone you love. The cancer diagnosis. Am I supposed to pray and give thanks in that situation? And for that situation? You see, Jesus came to give life and life to the full. You know, he, You see, God uses our cancer, he uses the murder, he uses the rape, he uses the evil, but, but it's not what he wanted. You're saying God wanted the rape, God wanted the cancer, God wanted the murder, is that what you're saying? And I would say, okay, listen, young grasshopper, we're going back to the basics. Apparently you missed Theology 101 with God's sovereignty. (laughs) Evil is evil. There's lots of it in this world. There's a whole lot of it. And it's against God's revealed will. But ultimately, if God permits it, does he not have a good and wise and holy reason for allowing it? Can't have it both ways. Even when God is permitting, he's permitting with a purpose. He's permitting with design. I like how John Piper said it about his cancer. He said, "If you don't believe God designed your cancer for you, you will waste it." Don't waste your cancer. Joni Erickson Tada who became paralyzed after a diving accident in her teens, came to realize that everything that touches her life comes from the Lord's good hand, even pain, even adversity, even evil, and therefore, we can give thanks in all things and for all things, because we know it's working towards our good and his glory. Obviously, the two great biblical examples are Joseph In Genesis 50, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There is purpose in both evils. God has a purpose in allowing that and doing that. He orchestrated it. And it was to bring many sons out of Egypt and to have his plan and his purpose for salvation continue. But what was the evil intention of the brother's heart? They had an evil against God's God's revealed will but God was bigger. Same thing in Acts chapter four, verse 27, 28, that beautiful section. The worst evil that ever happened on the planet Earth in history was the crucifying of Jesus, the innocent one. And it says that Pontius Pilate and Herod and the whole thing, and and this was all planned, just as you had planned for it to happen, God had a purpose and and, and Pontius Pilate had a purpose, but God's purpose was much bigger and better and for the good of his people and for his glory I think it was Al Martin who I first heard make this point which was echoed from the Puritans that uh, when we try to disconnect God from the evil circumstances or the situation we end up removing the only thing that could truly give us comfort and truly give us confidence which is the belief that he's working it out all for our good. How can he work it all for our good if there's things that are happening outside of his control? Oh, wait, oh, that, oh, I'm here to pick it up for you. I'm here to help you with that once it's, you know, but I didn't see that one coming. No, you take that away from God, his ability to see all things and know all things and plan all things with purpose. You take that out from him you end up taking away your confidence and your comfort that you need to get through that. The goal of providence is to mold our character. God is committed to your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. God is not committed to filling your hands with hundred grand candy bars, but filling your heart with holiness. He's committed, that's my favorite candy bar, by the way. He is committed to maturing your character and making you more like Jesus. And regardless of how unsavory that is in the time, and regardless of how difficult the means towards that end may be, we can thank him and praise him because he is faithful to finish the good work that he began you Philippians 1 6 and he's working all things for your good for you for those who are called who love him and who are called according to his purpose he's working it towards a higher purpose and sometimes we get a glimpse of it on this side the why you may get a glimpse of the why in this life but ultimately we trust and we live by faith that God's doing things now that will only be seen in its brilliance and its beauty and in full fruition on the other side of eternity. We have to believe that. Your situation no matter how horrible on the when when you look at it. I was I watched a documentary on a guy named Dave Hammer who got burned in his tent. He was a little boy, 5 years old. He got burned. Uh, Someone put a firecracker in his tent. 60% of his body is completely burned. And he lives and he praises God and he, he worships the Lord and he thanks God for every situation. And he could do that because he sees his life on the backdrop of eternity in the care of a sovereign God. Instead of taking things for granted, let's take things with gratitude and in everything give thanks. Those are the three points, let's bring it in for the conclusion here. RPG, what does it stand for? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We saw the last time, let's get very practical here. The last sermon when we were in 1 Thessalonians, we talked about those uh, uh, the exhortations of admonish the idol encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with everybody and that's for those in the church there are plenty of people who need admonishing and need encouraging and need helping and they need our patience in the church and when the tide rises it will float all the boats So. When we rejoice, when we pray, when we give thanks, there's, a, there's a, something that happens there. It's contagious, and it impacts the community. I think it was D.L. Moody who said, the Lord lights me on fire, and people come to get warm and watch me burn. <laughs> when we're individually rejoicing, we're individually praying, we're giving thanks <coughs> as we should, it has the community impact of a spiritual warhead. I'll say it another way: when that, uh, when, when that uh, um, RPG hits and the water, uh, the, the the tide rises and the boats float. There's a, there's a, there's something that happens there when when there's a uh, when individually impacts the community. And it's the task of the entire church community to be concerned about the community joy, about the community prayer, about the community thanksgiving. And that RPG, spiritual warhead, makes a bigger impact than we could imagine. We don't pursue the joy and we don't pursue thankful hearts and the connection with God in prayer to keep it to ourselves in a holy huddle. We're called to share it. Just like we're called to share every blessing that God gives you. If he gives you material blessing, we should share it. If God gives us musical blessing, we should share it. God gives, he gives us, uh, our, he gives our church overflowing joy and thanksgiving, we should share that. And that's what we aim to be. We wanna be a church, bread of life. We wanna be a church that has uh, grace, it has peace, it has love, it has joy where we have lots of of prayer, lots of Bible, lots of singing, so that we can make the kingdom impact and welcome in those who are weak and hurting and disintegrated by the world and to bring them in. It's not just to keep it to ourselves. The world's a mess. I saw the stats the other day. Teen suicide, up higher than it's ever been. Um, uh, uh, Um... antidepressant drugs the numbers are through the roof and i'm not speaking against anybody that may be on that to fix your brain but there's i know there's millions tens of millions of people that are taking it to cope instead of fixing something that may be off but it's messed up out there but we have true joy we have this thanks we have thankful hearts let's spread that and share that And the basis and the bedrock and the foundation of our rejoicing and our prayer and our thanksgiving is that we rest on the grand indicative of the gospel. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen. That's the fundamental reality and declaration which our lives as Christians are built on. And we look to Jesus. We look to his perfect life, his death, his his resurrection. And we say, wow, what a savior. What What kind of a God would give us a Jesus like that? He was crucified. He was put in the ground. He came out of the ground so that we would have joy. And that his joy would be in us and our joy in him would be full. John 15 Jesus lived a perfect life. He was crucified and risen so that the Apostle Paul could give the Thessalonians the RPG spiritual warhead. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Jesus is the Savior of saviors. He's the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and we are in him. So this means to work out The joy and the prayer and the thanksgiving in our lives individually and in community. As I said, the society we live in, they have no idea what real joy is. They're missing out. Now, they're blind and dead, and they they don't have spiritual taste buds, but God gives people that when they hear the word in his timing, according to his purpose, they don't know forgiveness. They don't know gratitude. They don't know joy. You do by his grace. So we can rejoice in Jesus. We can rejoice in the gospel. We can share and we can invite and we can include and we can be filled with gratitude. We can show hospitality. We can obey God's will and we can make progress and growth in this area of joy and prayer and gratitude We can make progress because that's God's will for us. God loves to see his children conformed to his will. Each of us is included if you're in Christ because God's given you joy, he's given you forgiveness and peace, and he's given you the privilege to pray and to be an overflowing vessel of joy and prayer and thanksgiving. Let me say a quick prayer for us. Father, we thank you for the clarity and the power of your word. May the spirit of life and light and grace work to advance your kingdom of righteousness and peace in us individually and as a body today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of prayer now and then a time of silence. Um, Which brother is going to pray? Brother Abraham? Good morning. Thank you for this word. thank you for reminding us that you're so thank you for reminding us that you are absolutely There's nothing in the world.